I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. It's on page 46 if you are using one of the Bibles here. So Exodus chapter 3, we'll read the first 17 verses. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey." Just turn over a few pages to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, where we hear the third commandment that God gave to his people. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of Yahweh, the Lord your God, in vain, for Yahweh, the Lord, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism to find an exposition of this third commandment. 
which you'll find in the back of the Trinity Psalter Hymnal, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 36, on page 890. I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answer. So question 99. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Question 100. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. So far from the Catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we think about the third commandment regarding the proper use of God's name, you might um, initially think, well, this seems to be a, a large commandment, even an extreme way of thinking about simply using somebody's name. And we don't maybe think about the significance of what a name truly is. And the significance of what it meant for God to reveal his name and give his name to the people of Israel. But Herman Bovink helps us to get a better sense of the significance of a name. He says this regarding God's name. He says, The name of God is God's revelation in a variety of relationships towards humanity. In that name, God reveals himself. And then, on the basis of this, we refer to him in accordance with this revelation. God's name is thus the sum total of his revelation. In his name, he has made himself known to us, disclosed himself. See, a name is not merely just to signify something, but rather the name that God revealed to his people, as you read about in Exodus chapter 6, was a revelation of who he was, And who he was for his people. God revealed his name as a a revelation of who he is. Within the context of his covenant with his people. God had promised to be their God. And he had promised to take them as his people. He had called them to to mutual face-to-face fellowship. That they might know him and love him and serve him personally. Not just to know a supreme being, not just to know a most high God, or, but to know him personally. God condescends to give his name. That's what Moses asks for. As Moses was tasked right, to go to, the, to Pharaoh, to tell him to say that the God of Israel has come and is redeeming and calling his people out to this mountain to worship and glorify him. Moses responds and says, right, what name shall I say? Who, who sent uh, me? And God gives him that name as the uh, English translations usually translate with all caps, Lord in all caps. Uh, But it is the proper name, Yahweh. Yahweh has come. Yahweh is God's proper name. 
that he gives to his people. And it's important for us to see, as we've been talking about just in these brief moments here, right, that this name then is at the heart of God's covenant relation with his people. That God, in his grace and in his mercy, condescended to give his people his name. And again, this was the heartbeat, the core, the energizing core of that covenant relationship that God had with his people. So that when God's people were in danger, they could call upon his name. Uh, When God's people uh, were were thankful and full of gratitude, they could praise his name and bring honor to him. Right? God desired to, to have that personal bond, that personal relationship with his people And so he gives them his name, and that name contains within it all that he is and all that he will be for his people. Within that name is contained his faithfulness to his promises. Within that name is contained his power to act and redeem and save them. Within that name is is all that God is. So that the people of God could then call upon that name. The people of God could stand upon that name. The people of God could seek refuge in God's name because his name was his very person. His name revealed who he was. And so that's just kind of some background to think about the significance of this commandment, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It was an awesome reality that God had given his name to his people And therefore, they were not to misuse the name like the peoples around them misused the names of their so-called gods. See, the people around them believed that names, and specifically the names of a deity, were a kind of leash around the necks of their gods. That by possessing the names of their gods, they could control these supernatural entities to do their bidding that they could control them uh, to um, act on their behalf. In many ways, uh, the misuse of of the names of their so-called gods um, confess this fact, that God and their gods existed for their sake alone. That That through these names, they might control their deities. But the Lord is saying here in this third commandment that his name is not to be used in that sense. His name is not given to them that they might control him, that, he, that they might um, have him at their bidding. But again, that name is properly used within the context of the covenant of mutual love for one another. God gave his name. Israel did not name God, right? To name God would have some type of power over him to control him, again, like the peoples around them. But again, the people of God are not to take the name of the Lord their God in vain like the peoples around them. Instead, they were to use God's name within the context of his covenant. And that continues to be the case for us even today. We've come to know that name as a name that is above all names. Uh, We've come to recognize that while revealed uh, to Moses was God's name, But in the fullness of time, the one who was named came and appeared. Uh, Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, came and appeared. And so even for us today to recognize that the name of Jesus Christ, the name that, that has been revealed to us, is to be used by us, not in vain, but within the context of his covenant. That's why in the name of Christ we offer up our prayers to God. 
It's why it's the name of Christ we confess to the world around us. It's why it's the name of Christ that we seek our help in. And so even today, this command remains true for us. Christ has not given us his name that we might engage in a kind of um, superstition, that we might engage uh, and use his name to to simply serve our own ends and and accomplish our own um, goals. But God is, Christ has revealed himself to us, given us his name, that we might have comfort in this life, that we might honor and glorify that name, which Paul says is the name above all names, and uh, that we might uh, confess that name before the world around us. And so that's what the command is, is getting at. The heart of the command is God's name, and God's name is at the heart of his covenant with his people. But now we think about the application of that further. The Heidelberg Catechism helps us to think, okay, what does it then look like to honor God's name, to honor the name of Christ in this world uh, today? The Catechism gives us both what is forbidden and what is required of us. And so we'll consider those uh, in turn. So as to what is forbidden, Lord's Day 36, question 99 says, that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Now, what does it mean to blaspheme? What does it mean to blaspheme? Why is that something that the command forbids? Well, to blaspheme is to appropriate what belongs to God alone. Right? It's to say that, 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 that we are holier than God, as if holiness belongs to us, It's to say that we are wiser than God, as if wisdom belonged to us. It's even to say that we are uh, more just than God, as if justice belongs to us. To blaspheme God is to dishonor his name, because again, his name contains within it all that he is. His name is is, is, is who he is as holy, who he is as wise, who he is as just, who he is as love. And therefore, to to begin to blaspheme is to dishonor uh, God's name. Herman Bovink puts it this way. He says, Blaspheme is an outburst of hatred against God and his world dominion because they conflict with the sinful human reality. It is demonic madness. Humans then declare that they are not beings who sin against God, but that God sins against them. They posit their worldview as higher than and superior to God's, whose view is deemed to be unjust and unreasonable. Blasphemy is to deem God to be unjust, cruel, or alike, to mock his assumed holiness and love, and to represent oneself as much holier and wiser and just. Right? You see why blaspheme had the sentence of death attached to it, to those who engaged in it. It's why the catechism could go on to say that swearing in such a way um, is, as it says here, provokes God's wrath more than any other sin. No sin is greater because it fails to uphold God for who he is. It takes the revelation of God and drags it through the mud. It takes what God has revealed about himself and begins applying it to ourselves or to the creation um, around us. So blaspheme is then to say, as Bovink said there, 
just think that it's God who sins against us, not us who sins against God. It is to dishonor God's name. Not only blasphemy, but as the catechism fleshes out what this misuse of God's name, what blasphemy is, it defines it also as cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths. The idea of cursing um, is something that we um, don't often maybe think about. We have certain curse words uh, that we know, and and sometimes uh, those curse words are simply just crude words that we're not to take upon our lips um, as the other commandments require of us. But cursing in its original idea, what cursing was, was the idea that you would take the name of some god and you would use that name to then bring about some type of um, harm or hurt upon somebody else. You would take a god's name and begin to use it. In fact, if you were to look in various languages at the origin of some curse words, you'd find that those curse words were believed to be the names of so-called gods. And they would take those names upon their lips in order then to pronounce a curse upon somebody else. It was a very um, irreligious uh, thing to do. But here we are saying, uh, the Lord is saying that we are not to take his name upon our lips for the sake of cursing others. Christ himself teaches us that instead of cursing, we're to bless, right? Even our enemies, even those who persecute us. We are not to use God's name in the name of Christ to pronounce curses upon other people. Now, we do see throughout the scriptures imprecatory psalms, right, where we see others calling curses upon other people. So what do we say about that? How do we relate those two things? Well, first thing, the imprecatory psalms were never personal, somebody being personally attacked and now responding and saying, may God destroy you, may God dash you against the stones, right? May God um, bring all of the, the heap of ruin upon you. It was never the response of a personal attack, but it was a recognition that there was wickedness in the world and a certainty that God would either judge that wicked person or that God, in his mercies, would bring that wicked person to the cross of Christ where he would repent of his sins and find mercy and forgiveness. And so, yes, we can recognize and see the cause of Satan all around us, the wickedness around us, and it's not simply to ignore that, There's a righteous indignation, a righteous sense in which we can say, Lord, bring judgment against all who would oppose you. Destroy all that would oppose the gospel of Christ. But again, that doesn't arise from a simple, a personal vendetta, a personal infliction. But it's simply recognizing that God will bring judgment. Whether, again, upon the person who remains obstinate and the person who remains unrepentant, in their sin, or God's judgment as it's been poured out upon Christ at the cross, where those once wicked are brought there to repent, and they're brought there to see their sins, nailing their Savior to the cross, and they're being released and forgiven. But God will certainly judge all around us. But again, we are not to take God's name to curse those who harm us, curse those who persecute us, curse those who look down upon us. That is how the world operates. That's how the kingdom of Satan operates. But it's not how the kingdom of God and the citizens of it are to operate. It's not how we are to live. We are to bless and not to curse in the name of Christ. 
Beyond just cursing, also perjury is mentioned, right? Perjury is lying under oath. And we'll say much more about oaths next week. Um, If you look at the Catechism again, Lord's Day 37 um, deals extensively and exclusively uh, with with oaths. And but um, so we'll say more about that next week. But here again, right, the basic idea and the core of the sin that is forbidden in this third commandment, as Voss, Gerhardus Voss says, the core of the sin does not exclusively lie in its believed efficacy, as if it's just, well, the problem is that you think these will work. Rather, the core of the sin is in the disrespect for God that is implied. And so we are instead uh, to honor God's name. It's a gracious thing that God would give his name to his people. And therefore, we're not to drag his name out of the context of our covenant relationship with him and begin to use it for our own purposes and use it for selfish gain and use his name um, to further ourselves, but rather we are to use his name within the context of his covenant relationship with us, in the context of the fact that he is our God and we are his people. And therefore, his name is powerful, his name is useful, his name is our refuge and our strength, in this life. And so let's turn then, in our final point, uh, to the proper use of God's name, right? So we've looked at the misuse of God's name in terms of what is forbidden. Uh, but secondly, we want to think about the proper use of, of God's name. And again, the catechism helps to flesh this out for us. It says, In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe. Now, of course, this includes our, our speech, right? We don't simply just use God's name or the name of Christ as an expletive, as we hear the world around us use it. Uh, we don't use it as mere filler in our uh, words, right? We are to use the word name of God, um, not in crude joking um, in any of these ways, but we're to use it only with reverence and awe. But more than that, right? It's not, okay, that's all you need to worry about. Now you've, you've kept the commandment, right? There, there's much more to that, right? Again, it's a matter of honoring God's name in every sphere of life. Honoring God's name before the world. Honoring God's name in worship. Honoring God's name in times of trouble and times where you are in need of help, right? To call upon God's name. It's what the catechism goes on uh, to explain to us. It says, so that we may properly confess his name call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. This is why God has given us his name, that we might fulfill our covenant task, even as earlier in the catechism speaks of, as prophet, priests, and kings. God has given us his name, that as prophets we might confess his name before the world. That when we go to the world around us, the unbelieving world around us, and into the darkness, right, we proclaim the name of God. We proclaim a personal God. We don't proclaim a a, um, a far-off God. We don't proclaim a God who is veiled behind a a name or whatever else it might be, a title, the most holy God or whatever it might be, but we proclaim a personal God to the world around us. We confess him. And therefore, right, to honor God's name as we confess him before the world is not to hide anything of who God is as he's revealed himself. And it's also not to distort anything that God has revealed about himself as well. It's very easy to take the name of God and maybe just highlight the parts that the world can, can, can fathom and the parts that the world can handle and that they can accept. 
But no, to confess God's name means we confess all that he is, all that that name contains, that he is a holy God, that he is a loving God, that he is a just God, that he is a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But it's not for us to decide, well, this aspect of who God is is what I'm going to emphasize. Rather, when we confess the name of God before the world, we confess his name in the fullness of of his revelation. Again, remember what Bobbing said, his name is the sum total of his revelation. And therefore, while it might be easy in this world to emphasize that God is love, and God truly is love, we're not to all of a sudden use God's love to expense with his justice in punishing sin, his holiness, in that nothing that is tainted with sin could appear before him. Right? We're, not to, we're not to hide away these things. Or even you may think about in, in, in a world in which the idea of justice has become so confused and so many definitions are used, to now all of a sudden the church to downplay the fact that God is justice, that God is just. Right? We, we can play these games in all different ways, but the point is that we are to uphold the fullness of God's name in all that he is as he has revealed himself, as we confess him before the world. And another idea regarding this is that as we, you know, what motivates us then to confess? Well, all that his name is should compel us. All that his name is for us should lead us to make that name known. What a glorious name. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name the name of Christ, in whose name we are saved, in whose name we are heard by God, in whose name salvation has come even to us that our sins have been removed from us in Christ as far as the east is from the west, right? One who, whose name, again, is above every name. When I grasp the fullness of that, it's that which I want to talk about. It's that which I want to tell the world about. It's that which I want the world to know. So we become jealous for his name, passionate about his name. So we confess his name before the world. And the other thing we are to do in honoring God's name is that we are to call upon him. Right, we see this throughout the Psalms. Whenever uh, God's people are in trial, whenever they're in a moment of, of difficulty, of darkness, when their enemies are surrounding them, they seek refuge not in the things of this world, not in the, arm, in the strength of their arms, not in the strength of armies, not in the strength of political, of political influence, but their help, as we heard earlier in the service, their help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The maker of heaven, heaven and earth has given his name to his people that we might call upon him in time of need. The maker of, of heaven and earth cares for you. He's come to you. He's condescended to you and given you his name. And therefore, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, when we are surrounded on all sides, or at least it feels like that, We are to recognize that our help is in the name of the Lord. God has given us his name, that we might not grow fearful or timid, but that we might continue bold and encouraged to live for him and know that he will deliver, know that he will save, know that he will rescue his people. It's the same boldness and courage that the three uh, Hebrew Israelite uh, boys in, in Babylon had standing before Nebuchadnezzar. They had the name of their God. They called upon him in prayer. And so they stood firm, unwavering. The name of God truly is our strength in this life. 
And therefore, it's our, it's our duty, uh, but it's also for our good then to seek out the riches of that name, to know that name, to know what God has done and acted for his people. You can read Exodus chapter 6. I think I'm running out of time quickly. Uh, but read Exodus chapter 6, where God uh, reveals to, to, to Moses the meaning of his name in that he will rescue and deliver his people from Egypt and from Pharaoh. That name contains his work and, and his power and his redemption. And that is the name that we are to, to seek the riches of, to know the fullness of, and to know the fullness of it in Christ our Lord. And lastly, we are not only to confess his name, honor his name before the world around us, and we are not only to call upon him in time of trouble, and I should add, as kings, right? We're talking about our prophetic role, but also our kingly role. We are to call upon him. And thirdly, in our priestly role, right, we are to praise him in everything we do and say. Right? His name has relevance to all of life. There is nowhere that I go that I am not called to honor the name of God. Whether that is in the home, whether that is in the church, whether that is at work, whether it is I'm playing with my friends, whether I'm at school, right, whether I'm studying, like all of these things, we are to honor the name of God because God's name, again, is the sum total of his revelation and everything reveals God, most specially in scripture, but again, generally in the world around us. Nowhere do we go where we are not to uphold the name of God and offer him thanks and praise. Thanksgiving and praise to declare his excellencies. That is our calling in this life. And so, just to come to a conclusion here, God in his covenant mercy, God in his covenant condescension, has come to us, and he's come to you, and he's given you his name. Don't lose sight of, of the majesty and, and the glory of that. He's given you his name because he loves you, He's given you his name because he cares for you. He's given you his name because he is your father in heaven. It'd be an odd thing not to know the name of your own father, right? Who loves you and cares for you. And therefore, in this life, let us then honor his name, not to use it flippantly, not to use it in a trite way, but to have awe and reverence for that name. But not to the point where we don't use it. You could think of uh, the Jews of old would not speak of God's name. They would instead kind of circumvent who he is, speak of heaven, speak of the most high being. But we can speak and call upon God as our Father. And call upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We can call upon the Holy Spirit. The name given to us, our triune God. And therefore let us confess him before the world. Let's confess Christ before, let's call upon him in times of trial and trouble. And let us praise him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength to praise his name and to search out the riches of that name as we dive deep into the scriptures and come to grasp the fullness of his revelation of all that he is for us and all that he has done for us as well. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> our gracious God and heavenly Father, what a glorious thing it is to call upon you and to know that you hear us and that in your grace you answer us. And so, Father, help us as your people to honor and glorify your name. And, Father, we ask that your name would be honored, that your name would be reverenced, 
in our hearts, in our lives, and in this whole world until your glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.